You are listening to the Embassy Church Podcast, and here is today's message. Thank you so much. Thank you. Praise God. Praise God. Well, for those of you who don't know, um, my name is Wayne Thiessen. I am on the pastoral team here at Embassy, if for frame of reference for those online or those in the room. Um, this morning, I, I want to talk a little bit about the wages of sin. The wages of sin. I was on the internet um, the other day, and the question was, how did Jesus pay for our sins? Well, with PayPal, of course. Um, <laughs> um, sin, the, the Greek words for sin basically means to miss the mark or to have an offense. Um, it is basically just making a mistake and doing something wrong, which we all do. But before I talk about the wages of sin, I want to be very clear of what I'm, uh, our sin has been taken care of. Um, John 3.16 in The Voice says, for God expressed his love to the world in this way. He gave his only son so that whoever believes in him will not face everlasting destruction, but will have everlasting life. And here's the point. God didn't send his son into the world to judge it. Instead, he's here to rescue a world headed towards certain destruction. We have all heard John 3.16 a lot. Um, But John 3.17 It's just as important because God did not send his son into the world to judge it. He didn't send Jesus to tell us how bad we were. He didn't send Jesus to tell us how we missed it and how we're all going to hell and that's the end. You guys guys just suck. (laughs) He He didn't send Jesus here to do that. In the message it says, this is how much God loved the world. He gave his son, his one and only son, and this is why, so that no one need be destroyed. By believing in him, anyone can have a whole and lasting life. God didn't go through all the trouble of sending his son merely to point an accusing finger at us, telling us how, telling the world how bad it was. He came to help, to put the world right again. And anyone who trusts in him is acquitted. So if you have gone to our Lord and you've repented, and you've accepted the gift that Jesus offers you, the gift that he gave, the gift of life, then your sins have been taken care of. And you are not going to hell. They've been looked after. They've been looked after. When God created the law, now when I talk about the law, I'm not talking about the Canadian Criminal Code. I am talking about the Mosaic Law, which is the law that God gave Moses. It's based on the Ten Commandments, which I think is in Exodus 20. And then Leviticus and Deuteronomy build on it and try and explain how day-to-day living would fulfill those Ten Commandments. But there's a lot of, lot of do's and a lot of don'ts, and nobody can live up to them. And, and that is what the point of the law is. The point of the law that God gave is for us, one, to see who God is, to see what he thinks of certain things, and two, to show us that there is no way in the world 
that we could possibly ever be good enough to make it to heaven, to make it into his presence. And the reason being is that God is holy. God is a holy, holy God. And as soon as we sin once, we're not holy anymore. And the holiness of God will destroy the unholiness of us if we ever end up in his, in, in his presence. And so God created something to show us. He created the law to show us that we can never, ever be good enough to be in his presence, ever. But when he created the law, he created a loophole in, in the law, or a back door if you're a computer programmer. And he created one that only he could access. See, because you needed a blood sacrifice to pay for your sins, which in the life is in the blood. So then if you pay for your sins, then you're dead. And there's no relationship. The loophole is that if there was somebody perfect, somebody who never sinned, somebody who was willing to be the lamb, to be the sacrifice that the law requires, then we are all saved. And Jesus was that man. It was a loophole that only God could access because nobody was perfect except him. And that's, that's really kind of cool. When God created the whole law, when he created all that stuff, he was thinking of a way for us to be in relationship with him. He was thinking of a way for you to have a relationship with him. And he created that loophole specifically for you. Romans 5.16, his free gift is nothing like the scourge of the first man's sin, which is Adam. The judgment that fell because of one false step brought condemnation, but the free gift following countless offenses, which is our offenses, results in a favorable verdict, verdict of not guilty. Uh, I don't know why I never saw this before. Um, maybe I'm just a little slow. But you know that judges can say not guilty? <laughs> you know, I, I always saw myself standing for God at the end of everything and standing before the judge, knowing that I did those things. And God saying guilty because I did them. I have no defense. I, I did them. And so I was never anxious for Jesus to come back. And I never really cared too much about eschatology and the end times because I knew that meant then I would have to stand before God and I was guilty. And for some reason, I never thought of the fact that God can say not guilty because of what Jesus did. We are not guilty. We are not guilty because of what Jesus did for us. And all we have to do to be not guilty is to accept the gift that Jesus is offering, to accept the gift of life that Jesus is offering you because he died for you. It's done. All you have to do is take it, accept it. And if you've never done that, there'll be a chance in a few minutes for you to do that. But the judge has said not guilty. Romans 5.1, since we have been acquitted and made right through faith, we are able to experience true and lasting peace with God through our Lord Jesus, the anointed one, the liberating king. He has liberated us. He has liberated us. The veil has been torn. 
that veil that kept God separated from us wasn't, it was to protect us from him. It wasn't to protect him from us. That veil was there. When Jesus died, the veil was torn in the Holy of Holies and God could move out among his people, which is what he really wanted right from the beginning. He's pretty patient, you know. Can you imagine waiting 6,000 years to get the thing your heart really desires? I always want it, like, now, tomorrow at the latest, you know, um, because that's <laughs> the way I am, I guess. So knowing that our sins are covered, that we are not going to hell, we are going to go live with Jesus when we die because of his gift. Knowing that, then what does the Bible mean when it says the wages of sin is death? If those sins have been taken care of. See, Paul wrote this in Romans. It's in Romans 6.23. Now, the Romans that he's writing to are people who are saved. These people know Jesus. These people have all been saved. They're all walking in the light. Most of them also have the Holy Spirit. But Paul is still telling them that the wages of their sin is death. Well, the Greek word, well, Romans 6.23 in the Passion Translation says, for the sin's meager wages is death, but God's lavish gift is life eternal found in your union with the Lord Jesus, the Anointed One. The Greek word translated meager wages actually means the wages of a foot soldier. In other words, He's talking about daily wages, weekly wages at the most, monthly. When you work for somebody and they pay you, they don't pay you when you retire and say, okay, good job, now that you've done that all, here's, what, here's, your, here's your pay. He doesn't do that, or we don't do that. We get paid weekly, bi-weekly, if we get paid per hour, or if we're salary, we get paid every month. But the wages of sin, the payment for sinning, comes daily, weekly, monthly. It is not the wages of the sin that Jesus looked after. We are all, we're all going to go to heaven, but these wages of sin are the ones that ruin your life here on earth. This is the wages of the stuff that makes your life horrible here on earth. And thank God that Jesus made a way that we don't have to, have to live that. We don't have to live it. But sin kills the Aramaic translation of this is the business of sin is death. Sin's purpose is to kill. That's why Jesus came to set us free from the devil's works, which is to steal, kill, and destroy. That's what sin does. But what does sin kill? Sin will kill your peace and replace it with worry. Sin will kill your love and replace it with hate. Sin will kill your relationships and replace it with deception. Sin will kill your finances and replace it with poverty. Sin will kill your joy, replace it with depression. It will kill patience and replace it with intolerance. And it will kill kindness and replace it with cruelty. And I could go on and on and on and on. The whole purpose of sin is to kill all that stuff in your life now. I was having a coffee with a friend this week. And I had seen a video on Facebook. It was an eagle. The eagle had dove into the ocean. Some people were kayaking just off the coast of BC. And this eagle 
for some reason couldn't fly out of the water, whether it hurt itself, whatever. And it swam to shore using its wings. It swam to shore, but not its feet. And when it got to the shore, it came out of the water at the shore with the fish in its claws. It still had the fish in its claws that it had swum out of. And I was mentioning this to my friend, and he said he was on the lake with his dad when he was a little guy, and an osprey, which is like a small eagle or a falcon, um, had dove into the water and grabbed this fish. And the fish was too big for the osprey to fly away with it in its claws. But the osprey wouldn't let go of it. And it held on to it so long that the fish actually dragged the osprey under the water and drowned the bird. Because the bird would not let go of the fish, he died. Sometimes, no, all the time, our sin, if we don't let go of it, if we don't repent and give it to God and let him take care of it, it will drag you down and it will kill everything you have. It will destroy everything you've got. And when you, everything you have is destroyed, it will destroy your body as well. I think most of our sicknesses come from sin and our inability to connect the dots. But Exodus 34, 6 and 7 says that sin put on, is put on the children for up to four generations. And Leviticus says, though, that says that God will forgive and change it if we repent. So your sins don't only kill you. It will destroy others around you as well. So an example I have. I'm just going to kind of show you how this, might, how this works. There was a man 90, 100 years ago. And he was born into a Christian family. And he was raised Christian. And he went to Sunday school. He knew all about God. He knew God was all-powerful. He knew God was love. And he knew God, who God was. I doubt the man had a relationship with God, but he had all the teaching. He grew up. He got married. He bought a farm. He had a couple of children, and then the depression hit in the 30s, and he lost his farm. The bank took it. And then shortly after he lost his farm, his wife got tuberculosis and passed away, and so he lost his wife too. And he's left with two little children with no income and, no, and, and, and without his wife. And he blamed God. If God's all-powerful... Why didn't he stop it? If God is all-powerful and all-knowing, why did he not stop this from happening? And so he didn't have an answer to that question. So he believed the lie and blamed it on God and said, God did this. If he had the power to stop it and he didn't, that means he did it. And um, he got very angry at God, very offended at God for taking away his wife and his income. So he has a little boy and a little girl. And the little girl reminds him of his wife. And when he thinks about his wife, he thinks of all that, in his mind, God has taken from him. And so he's very angry at God and very, very offended at God for taking all this from him. Kind of like Job in reverse, you know, the other way around. But... He looks at the little girl 
and he sees his wife in her, and it reminds him of everything he's lost. And he takes it out on the little girl. And he treats her horribly to the point where the little girl hates her dad. So a relationship that was supposed to be a father-daughter relationship that God had created to be a good thing turned into no relationship at all and his daughter filled with hate instead of love. And sin, the effects of his sin by abusing her destroyed his relationship with her and him. So the, the relationship is destroyed. Sin has done this. Sin has done this. It's his sin projected upon her and it has destroyed his relationship. So then the girl grows up into a woman, a woman who does not trust men, a woman who hates men. She doesn't want anything to do with any of them. And, um, but she meets a man who is just as hurt as she is because people will, you will draw people to you. People, they hang around with people that are similar. I don't know how to say that properly. So she meets a man who's as hurt as she is and they get married and they have children. But she looks at her boys and she sees her father in her boys. And she decides that there is no way her boys are going to grow up to be like her dad. And so she tries to beat her dad out of the boys. And then she realizes what she's doing, and that she has become just like her father. So now her sin has been spread on the boys. And although she realizes she's become like her father, she can't stop. And then she hates herself for the way she is. So her sin on her boys has created self-loathing in her, a rejection in her, but it has also killed a relationship that should have been a loving from a mother to her children. That relationship isn't there. So her father's sin projected on her turned into her sin projected onto her kids. One of her kids wakes up one day, and he's about 17 or 18 years old. And he goes out to hang out with his friends because he can't stay at home because he can't stand his mom. And so he takes off. And um, his friend, he goes to his friend's place and his friend said, wow, last night was crazy. And he goes, what? I, I remember going out with you last night, but I don't remember anything that happened. And he said, you absolutely went berserk and you put this guy in a hospital. They had to call the ambulance and take him away because he couldn't walk. You beat him so bad. And his rage against his mom has now become his rage against other people. And now he is sinning. The wages of his sin has now been projected on somebody else. So you start with the grandfather, whose wages of sin affected his daughter, whose wages of her sin affected her son. And it just keeps going and going unless God stops it. And thank God that he made a way that it can be stopped. And all we have to do is go to him, confess the sin, and ask him what you need to do about it. Do you need to do something, or do you just let him look after it? And he'll tell you what you need to do. Sometimes it's a miracle, and, and it, it's, everything is better. Uh, sometimes it's not, it is a miracle, but it's not instantaneous. Sometimes you have to work through some things and some issues that God will lead you through. 
but God will definitely lead you through and bring you out of it. So the wages of sin that kills is the wages of your sin that kills and destroys everything around you. And eventually, if you don't look after that sin, you will be left alone all by yourself. And it will be a horrible thing. You will still go to heaven when you die, but your life on earth will be hell because that's what sin does. And I thank God. I just thank God that we don't have to live with that death. See, when God made us before Adam sinned, we were a perfect reflection of him. I mean, we, we can look at it as a mirror image of God. We were a perfect reflection, a mirror image of God, of what, who, he, who he is, what he's like, what he loves, what he doesn't love. We were a reflection of that. And a mirror continues to be a mirror. The pieces are all there, and one can see everything until the mirror gets shattered. So when Adam sinned, the mirror shattered. And we still see a reflection, but there's lines in it all over the place. And there's details you can't see anymore because the mirror has got cracks and there's pieces missing out of the mirror. You can see a general reflection. I think Paul referred to it as being able to see through a film and seeing, seeing it darkly, like in a, in a dark darkness. But the only way to get that fixed is to get a new mirror. You can find every single piece and glue every piece together, and you're still going to have all those broken, shattered lines in that mirror. The only way it can, it can't be glued back together. The only way it can be made new is to have a new mirror created. You have to have a new mirror made to have that reflection again. And that's what Jesus did. He made a way for the mirror to become new again. And I don't know why he didn't make everything new, but our spirits are made new. Our minds are something else altogether. Our minds, we need, to, we need to walk through our salvation. We need to renew our minds. And sometimes renewing your mind is not an easy thing because God will take you places you may not want to go to get that healed. But God never, ever leaves you or forsakes you. He will never strand you. Romans 6.6 6 says, we know this. Whatever we used to be with our old sinful ways has been nailed to his cross. So our entire record of sin has been canceled and we no longer have to bow down to sin's power. This, we work to, this is something we have to work to get to. We have to renew our minds. We have to continue in the word. We have to continue with our relationship with God so that we can trust God enough to go to those places to get the healing that we need. 1 John 1.9 in the Passion Translation says, But if we freely admit our sins when his light uncovers them, he will be faithful to forgive us every time. God is just to forgive us our sins because of Christ, and he will continue to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Many of us have habitual sins, things that we do and we tell ourselves we will never, ever do that again. And two weeks later, we've done it again. And we tell ourselves again, nope, I'm going to stop this. I can do this. I'm going to quit. I'm not going to do this anymore. And a week later, you do it again. And you just cannot stop. 
But you know what? You just got to get up and repent every single time. Every single time. Because you get up and you go, God has got to be sick and tired of hearing me repent from this because I've done it so many times. But God is not. Every time that you repent of that, and every time God forgives you, a little bit more trust is built between you and God so that God can actually get to the point where he can do what he wants to do. And so the wages of sin, the sin is specifically designed to kill. To kill you and everything that you own and everything that you are. But Jesus came so that that wouldn't have to happen. So I'm just going to I'm just going to end by praying for everybody in the room and everybody that's online. And I just I just want to pray that God would show you what you need to do with that sin that you keep doing over and over and over again. And that is wreaking havoc in your life because you're doing it over and over and over again and you can't stop. God will show you what you need to do. Maybe you need to find somebody and talk to them about it. In James, it says, the confessions of a righteous man. How's it go? The prayer of a righteous person will, be, will, will avail much. And just ahead of that, it says you need to confess your sins to one another. So maybe God wants you to take this sin and go find somebody that you trust and talk to them about it so that they can pray for you and it can be an effectual prayer. Maybe God wants you just to trust him and just lean on him. And maybe, maybe there's some reparations you need to do. But we're all a little bit different. All, all the sins that affect us are all a little bit different and you really need to go and find out from God what you need to do to get rid of that habitual sin in your life all the time. And so I'm going to pray that God will show you what you need to do so that you can start walking on the road out of those wages. So you can stop working for those wages of sin. Father God, I thank you this morning. I thank you for everything you've given us. I thank you for everything you've done for us. And you've done so much. So very much. And I thank you for that. Father, I pray for every person in this room. And I pray for every person that's watching this online. And I commit them to you. Lord, I commit them to you. Father, I pray that you would speak to them, that you would open the eyes of their understanding so they could see exactly what they need to do to get out of those wages. Because they don't have to be paid, Lord, because of Jesus. And so, Father, I pray for each one of them. Speak to them, show them how much you love them, and show them what they need to do with, and trust you while they do it so that everything can be made whole. Father, I thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. For more information about Embassy Church, visit our website at embassychurch.ca.